Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, first of all, giving you thanks, praising you for um, bringing back the youth and others who went to Stockton, Lord, for using them. And Lord, I remember, because I, I, I used to be a teenager once. I haven't been in my 30s all my life. <laughs> and I can remember coming to church being sleepy. Uh, but Lord, you know there's good sleepy and there's bad sleepy, just like there's good trouble and there's bad trouble. If I stayed up too late watching Saturday Night Live, that's bad sleepy. <laughs> but Lord, not, we got people in here today that spent five hours on the road and had an exhausting week. That's good. That's good. That's good sleepy. <laughs> that's good tired. So, Lord, we thank you for them and that when they left, what you're doing did not stop. It's just part of the journey. Lord, make us willing today to see our life as part of our journey with you in this life until we see you coming back from, uh, for us and we stand before you. And so, Lord, I pray. We pray for the team going to Monterey. We pray for the guys going to Mongolia. Lord, they got to travel 40 hours to get there. That's almost two solid days. Uh, Lord, be with all of them for traveling mercies, but Lord, use them as they are away from us. Bring them back safely so we can rejoice with you together. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 34. You know, normally on Sundays, uh, we either get a doctrinal study that's an exposition of a passage or a book, like what we're doing now with uh, spending the summer in the School of the Prophets, or we do a practical study that is an exposition of the Bible related to a topic, like what we are doing on adulting in the home. But on Lord's Supper Sunday, I like to draw us back and draw us in to go deeper devotionally. The second song we sang today uh, harkened back to the 1997 movie where Whitney Houston sang the first stanza of a beloved hymn by Isaac Watts. I love the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. Long as I live and troubles rise, I'll hasten to his throne. I love the Lord. He bowed his ear and chased my griefs away. Oh, let my heart no more despair while I have breath to pray. My God hath saved my soul from death and dried my falling tears. Now to his praise, I'll spend my breath and my remaining years. And that hymn is based on Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, where David says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. And today I want us to take the Lord's Supper by way of that, the companion psalm to Psalm 116, and that's Psalm 34. You'll notice in the title to this psalm that it tells you that this 
psalm is written at the lowest time in David's life. This is a moment in his life when nothing is going his way. And just like you and me so many times, in, in running from something, we run into a new problem. And David is running from Saul... And he's trying to hide, but he ends up among his own enemies. And so it says that this is when David was caught before Abimelech. And this Abimelech's name was Achish in 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. And he was the Abimelech or the king of Gath. And Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And Goliath was the Philistine champion that David had slain. So let me survey what you are seeing in this psalm. Verses 4 and 6 describe the danger that David is in, having gone to Gath, even though, yes, it is the last place that Saul would want to look for him. Saul wouldn't even think that David would go there. It's the last place he'd look for him, and yet that was, a, that was certainly a calculated risk. It was risky for David to go there. Verse 7 describes his trust in the angel of the Lord. As the angel of the Lord camps around David while he's in the cave of Adullam, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. Verse 10 reports on the lions who lurked there before that are now going away hungry because God is protecting him and his men. Now, those of you who are parents, I want you to take note of verses 11 and following because in verses 11 and following, David is laying out for his men the rules that he's going to have for his camp in this crisis. And these are really the rules that you ought to have for your home. And these five things are also how we as a body of believers can keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4 verse 3 says. What do we got to do? Number one, keep your tongue from evil. That's verse 13. Number two, keep your lips from speaking guile, verse 13. Guile is duplicity. Guile is deceit. Guile is a crafty disguise designed to lead somebody else astray with your words. So David says, look, homie, don't play that. I mean, it would be very easy in a life or death situation to say that the ends justify the means. And David says, no, I don't care what my end is. I'm not going to use any means that do not glorify God. The truth is never going to hurt me, ultimately. So I'm going to make sure that within this camp, here is what we do as men in this camp, leading our families who are here with us. Instead, number three, don't just depart from evil, actively serve and minister. That's, that's verse 14. Number four, seek peace in every situation, verse 14. And number five, pursue it until you catch it, verse 14. But I want you to take quick note of the verbs in this psalm because these things are what define walking in the spirit instead of walking after the flesh. This is what it means. If you do not do these things at all times, then verse 8 says you have missed 
the key to living a happy life. And you can live a happy life even at your lowest ebb if you have this key. So first, there are three things that describe the reactions of a trusting heart. Look at, look at number one. Bless the Lord at all times with praise. That's verse one. David is hunted, David is hiding, but David is praising. So he turns his cave into a cathedral. He turns his camp into a camp meeting. So do not let your praise be limited to the good times, but make sure you are praising God at all times. And then second, second, this is number two, boast in the Lord in order to maintain your humility. That's, num- that's verse two. And when nothing is going your way, it is still a beautiful day to bless the Lord. Number three, magnify the Lord by getting others to exalt him along with you. So David gets others to join him. David gets others to come with him. You, you who come to church with me and let's exalt the Lord together. He doesn't vacillate. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't procrastinate about his praise. Be Why? Because praise is your reaction to trusting God. Praise, you ought to write that down if you're taking notes. Praise is the reaction of a person trusting God. So when you complain, you're not giving a faith response. You're doing the devil's work for him. You need to make sure that regardless of how life is going, your reaction is praise because that shows that in that journey, you are trusting God. Whatever your problem is, it probably didn't start there and it may be not going to end there. But it is the journey and you need to trust God. So second, next, there is the recourse or the steps that are taken by a trusting heart. Number four, seek the Lord for your deliverance. That's verse four. And then you'll notice how verse five is a nod to the tribulation saints, uh, who David is a picture of in Bible type, because they will face the Antichrist just like he faces Achish, and they will have to do some crazy things in order to not take the mark of the beast and in order to escape his grasp. You know, Hebrews chapter one, verse three says that the son of God, Jesus, is the brightness of God's glory. So in the words of verse five, they will be literally lightened by him at his second advent, Ezekiel 128 and Daniel chapter 10, verse six and Acts 22, verse six. Now, I have to point this out to you because, you know, if it seems like it comes up every single week, it's usually because it does. But no one's face is lightened in the Christian Standard Bible, the ESV, the MEV, the New American Standard, the NIV, or even the New King James. And it is a shame that all of those modern translations corrupt God's words in the King James English in order to follow Jerome's Latin Vulgate in this verse. I mean, why even do that? Now, I knew I was teaching here today, and y'all are sophisticated, cultivated, educated crowd. 
I mean, you're suave and debonair with wavy hair. And I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher. I'd have to go home and do my homework. So I performed an etymological investigation of that Hebrew word. And, you know, I discovered that it means a running, flowing stream whose sheen is reflecting back the light of the sun on it, just like Isaiah 2, verse 1, where it's used, and Isaiah 60, verse 5, and Jeremiah 31, verse 12, and Jeremiah 51 verse 44 and Micah chapter 4 verse 1 and that word is so explicit and the doctrinal context is so clear referencing a particular second advent phenomena for these saints they do not become radiant with joy but they will be visibly and literally lightened by the sun's own brightness at his second coming Matthew 17, verse 2, Psalm 50, verse 2, Psalm 67, verse 1, Psalm 80, verses 1 and 3, and you lose all those cross-references if you rely on the New King James or any modern translation. You lose that revelation. So number five, cry to the Lord when you're in trouble. Verse six, number six, fear the Lord. Because he surrounds you, verse 7. So no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, the Lord is there. And because he surrounds you, you don't even have to turn in order to turn to him. I mean, that is how great our God is. And this is the quantum mechanics of true spirituality. Okay, this is quantum spirituality here. And so those last three things, verses 4, 6, and 7, are David's recourse in his most difficult days. So molding your heart to have trusting reactions and then steering your heart to follow a trusting recourse that is always going to bring you to number seven, the rewards of a trusting heart. Taste the Lord's goodness. And that's only done by trusting him during your trials. I mean, it's easy to say you love the Lord before you had to cry. It's easy to say you're trusting God if you've not had any trials. But the reward God gives you here is a contented life in verse 8. And that reward will result not just in a contented life, verse 8, but a complete life, verses 9 and 10, no matter how long or short it is. So finally, in verse 20, David gives testimony to how God has protected him physically when he was roughed up by the Philistine soldiers under Abimelech, even in the same way that the Lord Jesus did not have a bone broken when he was roughed up by the soldiers of Pilate and roughed up by the soldiers of Herod. Matthew 27, Mark 15, John 19. So for this Lord's Supper, I want us to focus our thoughts down on verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. 
So if you ever come here on a fifth Sunday and you ever uh, sit here and you take part in our Lord's Supper on a Sunday like that, and if you ever leave saying, you know, I don't really feel connected, I don't uh, feel like I connected to Christ today somehow, I don't uh, feel like it's exactly true what Alan usually says, you know, how observing the Lord's Supper uh, p- puts us in a, in a transponder and like on Star Trek, and it, it, it transports us back with Earth's earliest Christians, and I just don't feel like I I had that experience today. Well, you know, if that ever happens to you, here's the reason right here. The Lord's nigh to them that are of a broken heart and contrite spirit. So humility is the thing that allows you to appear before the Lord and him to appear before you. Brokenness. Because that is when the alabaster box is broken, Mark 14, 3. That is when the bread is broken before it is distributed, Mark 6, verse 41. That is when Gideon's pitchers are broken, Judges chapter 7. That is when Christ's body is broken for us, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And that is what makes it possible for us to be broken for him. And since his body was broken with five wounds, the blood flowed out. And when we are broken, the precious ointment can be detected. Like when the alabaster box was broken. And we, when we are broken, then the multitudes will be fed. And when we are broken, then light shines through us to lighten the lost. So you don't have to be a member of our church here in order to participate with the Lord's Supper here. But you should be able to answer yes to these three questions. Number one, have you trusted Jesus for everlasting life and been born again? The Lord's Supper is not a superstition to try and get someone saved. The Lord's Supper is a memorial we observe because we are saved and born again. Number two, have you shown that by being baptized by immersion in a church that preaches you must be born again? And number three, are you old enough and willing to examine your faith so that you know you're eating worthily because all sin is confessed before him? This is one of the things that makes sure that Christ's body, the church, has a fully regenerate membership. The first ordinance is baptism because nobody should get into the church without first saying to the church that they've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone. And therefore, they're born again, and they're walking in newness of life, his resurrection life. And by by the same token, the church cannot go on without observing the Lord's Supper as often as we want to, so that... Everyone in here is not only just right with God, you're right with the brethren. So every time we serve the Lord's Supper, that that is your cue to make sure you're right with anyone else in here that that you may feel like you're not right with. It should not go past today. We We ought to have continuous revival because we have a biblical view of the ordinances. So I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward now to get uh, get ready to help serve today. If you got in here today, but you do not have, um, you do not have the elements here, the uh, bread and the juice, raise your hand. We have some deacons on call.
DOC, I call them, the docs. Deacons on call, keep your hand raised, and they'll make sure that you get this so that you have the elements also and you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. And while they're passing that out, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, a few people over on this side over here. So the first item is the bread, so uh, uh, we'll ask you to turn the um, purple part on the bottom and take the tab then that is at the top and peel that foil back so you can get to the unleavened uh, wafer that is here for you. Bread pictures three significant things as a Bible type. We know that the Bible tells us it's a picture of the Word of God, Amos 8.11, Matthew 4.4. I mean, Jesus said that. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes out of the Word of God, which is why the words are so important, not just the word in a general sense. It is a picture of Christ's body given for you, Luke 22, verse 19. We're going to read right here. Okay, we've still got some hands up. Uh, number three, it's a picture of the way in which the church is really just one body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. Make sure everybody gets connected here. Make sure everybody gets taken care of. So, so this supper signifies what solidifies our communion, union with Christ, but also in Christ with each other. And so uh, I'm going to ask our deacon, Brother Brian Johnson, will you pray for the bread as we get ready to take it together? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for, for sending your son to, to die on the cross. I thank you for preparing a body for him and his acceptance and willingness to, to be nailed to that cross, to begin the process that would begin the, or have our ability to have a relationship with you, to have our, our, our eternity secure. But I pray as we continue to partake of this uh, communion that we would be aware of, of, of what it's about, a remembrance of you, but also uh, the, the, making sure that our relationships with each other in this body is as it should be. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke 22, verse 19 says, And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you this do." in remembrance of me. So with this broken bread in our hands, let us take, eat, and remember. Now, if you want to take the cup and turn it over and peel back the flap on that uh, aluminum foil there so that uh, you have access to the fruit of the vine, the grape juice. Uh, if anybody spills it and needs another one, again, just raise your hand. We'll have, we, got, we have docs. We have docs in this congregation. Our deacons on call will t- will take care of you. So I'm going to ask uh, our de- deacon brother Aaron Johnson if he would uh, pray and give thanks to the Lord for the for the juice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for the, for the blood, Lord. I thank you for sending your Son to condescend Himself to human forms that He could shed His blood, mm. Lord. I thank you that by that shed blood that we could have new life. 
Lord, I thank you that by that shed blood that we could be part of your family for all eternity. I thank you for your sacrifice, and I thank you for this time of remembrance. Lord, help us remember what this blood signifies. Help us remember what that sacrifice means for all of us. All this is a prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 20, Luke chapter 22 says, Likewise also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now with this fruit of the vine in our hands, drink ye all of it. I want to say thank you to the deacons who helped me serve today, and you guys can be seated. I want you to go back to Psalm 34, and I want you to go back to the verbs in this psalm, because these are your action words. I want you to look at your action words as we close and get ready to send you into the ministry fair. Notice, verse 4, if you seek... He will deliver. So really, there's a verb on each end. There is your verb and God's verb. And if you do your action, God responds. Verse 5, if you look, he will lighten. Verse 6, if you cry, he will save. Verse 7, if you fear him, he is present for you. Verse 8, if you taste by trusting, then you will see for yourself just how good he is. So let's follow these action words together so that we can live this Lord's Supper and not just partake of this Lord's Supper because our thesis for today's study is this. Trusting God is a conditioned response to life which will always bring you blessing. This is the journey. It didn't start here, but it won't end here. Trusting God is a conditioned response. You don't have that automatically. You only have that if you're giving a faith response to what's going on in your life. Are God's eyes upon you? Are God's ears open to you, as verse 15 says? And not because of your own righteousness or good works, but because you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. Or is his face against you? as verse 16 says. If his face is against you, then your face will be ashamed, verse 5. You know, I think that's the problem with the guilt that you have right now. The problem with the guilt is that you cannot get rid of it by therapy. You cannot get rid of it by medication. And both of those things, all they do is to either numb you or distract you from getting right with God. You need to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction today. You need to get the forgiveness and the fellowship with God that he is offering you today by Jesus Christ. That's what we pictured here at this Lord's Supper. So what should trouble you today is not all your troubles. What should trouble you is your lack of trust in God, verse 17. God offers you salvation by free grace today. Grace is the finished work of Christ operating on your behalf as you activate it by faith. Do not wait until another time. Don't wait another Sunday. There is no better time. You cannot make yourself more acceptable to God before you come to God. You need to come to Christ today just as you are because God cannot do anything he wants in your life 
until you start believing things that he wills for your life. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I know you don't want to perish, but you can't get what you want until you believe what he wills. Because the will of God is to save you today. The will of God is to save you right now. And he cannot do that until you repent and you turn to him. So your soul's redemption is not, is not in what you do. It is in what you decide today. It's in the finished work of Christ on the cross for you. And that is why Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. It is not a concept. It is being conformed to Christ. It is the journey. And you determine God's attitude toward you by your soul's trust in him and what his word says. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you plenty of time today, so I'm going to try and end early because I don't want anybody to have the excuse that, well, you know, I left the roast in the oven and Alan went long, so I couldn't, I couldn't go through the ministry fair. No, not only should you go through the ministry fair, and I'd say you ought to sign up first and ask questions later, but even if you don't sign up for anything, we overbought on, burrito, on the breakfast burritos, so you can take some home with you. And, uh, and, I, and I know you can't make people happy because you're not a taco. But we do have extra breakfast burritos. And not only that, but after this service, we had also planned, and we do have like a box lunch, picnic lunch, uh, for our church, summer church picnic, as it were. And so um, we'll have that afterwards. But, you know, make sure you walk through. You'll get a chance to meet leaders of ministries that maybe touch you or touch your kids and you'll be able to find out who they are and ask any questions that you have and also think about somewhere in somewhere in there the way that you need to get involved in what we're doing i don't know what god's going to do with our building i don't know what he's going to do with facilities facilitating ministry i don't know if we're going to still yet have to build here or if he's going to swing things around and, you know, get us in, a, in another spot close uh, that has plenty of room. I don't know yet, but I know that whichever it is and whatever is done, we got to be ready for this fall. We got to be ready to serve. We got to be ready to minister. You've gotten comfortable with Putin losing his mind and with Russia getting bogged down in Ukraine. And uh, you've gotten comfortable. I tell you what, go, go see the movie Oppenheimer. It will remind you. See, we've all gotten comfortable because a nuclear warhead has not been used in warfare since, since, the end, since it was used to end the Second World War. That movie will remind you what, what it's all about because it's still right there. And we still have crazy actors. I know you're, you've gotten comfortable because the economy's bounded back. You've gotten comfortable. I'm just telling you as Christians, we need to be awake and not asleep. It is not a good sleepy for you to be sleepy right now. 
The night is far spent, but that means the day is close at hand. We need to be ready when Jesus comes. We need to be getting people ready when Jesus comes. Stop, stop making excuses and make a decision. You can be saved today. You can, you can start serving today. Just trust Jesus. If you're lost, just trust him for the very thing he promises. If you will believe on him, and that is everlasting life, life after death, life for eternity, your soul's spot in his purpose for eternity. You can't change enough before you come. You need to come just as you are so that you don't have to stay just as you is. Jesus changes everything. All you got to do is pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All you got to do is pray. Just say something like this. God, save me for Jesus' sake. I'm not trusting anything else. I'm giving it all up. Not trusting in my parents' religion. Not trusting the church I used to go to. Not trusting in something I'm a member of. God, I'm just trusting your word and I'm trusting what it says. And I'm trusting Jesus for everlasting life. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that, we want to know. I want to know because I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. 